Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Obviously, starting a new series. Uh, obviously, the title is Neighborly. I, I was born in 1970, right? So, when when I was a kid, there was there was a show that was on television, a kids show, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. You remember that? Yeah, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And so he sang a song about being a good neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you mind? Won't you be my neighbor? Yeah. I didn't like the show. And the last service, I thought people were like, oh, I can't believe you. I mean, Mr. Rogers is cool. He's a believer. People have emailed me and told me what a great guy. He's good. It's just, it just, I wasn't a fan. It was kind of just weird for me, the whole deal, to be honest. And uh, I know some of you are like, oh, I love, good for you. I, I'm, it's a great show. I get that. I just, so my idea about being a neighbor was always like this sappy, sweet kind of stuff. And it just, it kind of didn't resonate with me. I, I, I missed it a little bit. Pray for me. I'm troubled, right? And so this, this, this idea of being a neighbor in Scripture, in my mind, every time somebody would talk about a neighbor, i just go back to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, and it was just, just a messed up kind of deal. I can't even believe I'm telling you guys this. It's just it's helping me to talk about it now. But Jesus was asked this question. Jesus, if you could really summarize the law, like the most important commandments, because there's a lot of things here in the Bible, how would we really sort of cliff note version, you know, just boil it down to what's really important? Jesus said this, here it is, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so this concept of being a neighbor is super, super important in Scripture, and we're going to spend the next four weeks really unpacking what it means to be a neighbor, and it looks a whole lot different maybe than even Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. There's a, there's a lot to it, so I'm excited about this study because of its importance uh, in our life, and we're super excited today as we look at a story that I think is one of the top ten in the New Testament. I love this story. It's so amazing. It's found in Mark chapter 2, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open them up there, the second book in the New Testament, and we're going to take a look at a story that uh, really gives us a lot of principles inside this story on, on what it means to, to be a to be a good neighbor, we're going to see that these are through-the-roof neighbors and bottom-line sermon in the sentence. Here's what we're going to take a look at today. What does it mean to be a neighbor, to really have through-the-roof faith? We're going to see that today in this story. So let's go ahead and, and pick up, and I'd love to see you guys opening up your Bibles. Let's just keep the Scripture open here as we unpack this story for a moment. In Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, A few days later, we're going to, we're going to go back and look at that. Jesus again entered Capernaum. The people heard that he had come home. Verse 2, they gathered in such a large number, in such large numbers, that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he did what? Preached the word to them. Now, let's stop after verse 2 and, and let's set the context for Mark chapter 1. This is obviously the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. This is Mark's telling of Jesus' ministry. And it says that he, he began in a city called Capernaum. Now, that wasn't Jesus' hometown. His hometown was Nazareth. But Jesus set up Capernaum as his base of operation. Capernaum is a city on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, a small little fishing village. And it was a, a cool place. And as Jesus came to Capernaum to start his ministry, one of the first things that he did in Mark chapter 1, one, he goes to the synagogue, and as he's there in the synagogue, something happens. 
A demon-possessed man, the demon calls out to Jesus as he's there first day in the synagogue and, and says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you, have you come to harm us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Wow, that's a lot for a normal church service. And then Jesus cast the demon out of this man. After Jesus cast the demon out of this man, they invited Jesus to come and speak at the synagogue. Now, that makes sense to me too, right? I mean, if you cast a de demon out of a dude, we want to hear from you. So Jesus gets up and he preaches in the synagogue there in Capernaum. And after he was done, the people said, we have never heard anyone teach like that before. He taught with such power and authority. Jesus leaves the synagogue and he goes to Simon Peter's house. Simon Peter invites him over because his mother-in-law is sick and dying. And Jesus goes into that home and he heals her. Now the city of Capernaum, you, you could place Capernaum inside the entire campus here at, at our, our battlefield campus. So news spreads like crazy fast that there is a, a miracle worker. This could be the long-awaited Messiah. So people line up on that Saturday outside of Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house in Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 1 tells us that he heals all the sick in that city and the demon-possessed. What a day. Now, the next morning, his disciples wake up and the people are already there standing outside for more of Jesus, but Jesus isn't there. He goes and he's in a solitary place and he's spending time with the Father in prayer. And the disciples go and get him and say, hey, Jesus, we've been looking for you. Everybody's waiting for you. We need to get day two of this healing crusade underway. So let's head back to Capernaum. And Jesus says, no. I've come to preach the gospel. I need to go to other towns to preach the kingdom of God. So he leaves and goes to other towns and preaches about the kingdom of God. And then in Mark chapter 2, a few days later, he makes his way back to Capernaum, right? That's the setting of this story. And you can imagine the euphoria that's there in the city that Jesus is back. And so that's why the house is so crowded. There's one other tidbit of information that, that you might want to know. Luke's gospel, Luke tells this same story. And Luke gives us another facet or another detail. He says that the house is full of many religious leaders from Jerusalem who have come up from Jerusalem from headquarters, so to speak, to check on this upstairs start rabbi teacher who claims to be Messiah. So the house is packed with all of these folks. Now, here we go. Verse three, I wish there was more than two verses to tell this story, but this is one of the coolest stories in the New Testament. Kids, I'm so glad you're in here today because when I was your age, when I was growing up, man, and when it was this story, when it was this day in Sunday school, I mean, it was on. I mean, this is as good as it gets. Now, take a look at verse three. It says, in this crowded home in Capernaum, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. So they have each a corner of the mat. They're carrying this paralyzed friend uh, to, to Jesus. I just call him Pete, paralyzed Pete. Not, it doesn't say that in the Bible. I just need to, to, to have a name in my mind to jog my memory. Verse four, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the mat. I mean, they repelled this guy down in front of Jesus. 
They lowered the mat that he was lying on. Now, let, let's stop for a minute and let's break those two verses down. Can we think about that? Because there's just a lot that's happened. Jesus is back. The city is euphoric. Everybody is pouring to this house to hear him teach. And you got four buddies. And like, did you hear Jesus back? Yeah, you going? Of course I'm going. We got to go. And they start heading to the house. And then maybe it's one of them says, hey, 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 what about Pete? What do you mean, what about Pete? Well, Pete can't get here, and Pete missed, Pete, Pete missed a couple days ago. Nobody, nobody came and got Pete, so Pete didn't get a healing like everybody else got a healing. Let's go get Pete. Well, if we go get Pete, we're going to be late. Well, it doesn't matter. We need to go get Pete. And so they run to Pete's house, and here is this paralyzed man, maybe paralyzed from, for life, and he's lying on this mat in, the, in the, the heat of this Middle Eastern morning, and he's sweating, and he's hopeless, and they say, Pete, it's your day. Pete, you're going to get yours because this Jesus that everybody's talking about, he is back, and we're going to take you to him because we believe if we can just get you in his presence, you're going to be able to walk again today, Pete. So we're going to carry you to him, but Pete, you're walking home. And Pete's like, Whatever. They pick him up and they carry him through the streets and he is just this, this lifeless, paralyzed body is just bouncing on this mat as he's making his way through these narrow streets of Capernaum and they get there to the house where Jesus is and it's like, hmm, too late. And they get shh, they get shh. You ever been shushed? Like they're, hey, we got somebody here. We got somebody here who didn't make it the first go around. He wasn't healed. We got somebody, Jesus, Jesus. And everybody's like, you guys need to be quiet. I mean, the rabbi's already started. Too bad, too sad. And so this religious crowd that has come up from Jerusalem, people who claim to know God the most, have turned their back on someone who needs God the most. But for the faith of these four friends, we're talking about what it means to be a neighbor. You got four dudes. Anytime you got four dudes together, there's always one. When the other three are saying, man, next time we'll get here earlier, there's one who says, I got an idea. Hold the mat and watch this. He climbs up on the roof. Now, that's not something that would have been so obscure because these Middle Eastern houses, they were all built with flat roofs because it was so hot there. These houses, like in the afternoon, became like ovens. So most people in this culture would spend their afternoon up on the roof of their house because it was much cooler. So the point is there, was, there would have been a ladder or some stairs there where they could have made their way up on the roof, right? So they get there, and here they are. And this roof would have been covered first layer, probably some type of thatch, palm branches. Then it would have been a mixture of mud, some Bible scholars say manure. Then underneath that would have been some more ceramic or clay tiles that would have been there over some wood beams. And so it would have taken some effort, but you could do it. And so they are, they are tearing this roof apart. Now, Jesus is a master teacher. No one taught like Jesus, but I, I got to tell you, I mean, the distractions at this point are pretty intense, right? I mean, the roof is starting to cave in on this house. And everybody's like, I, I watch you guys when I teach. I mean, if one person gets up and goes to the bathroom, everybody in here like follows them all the way out. I can't imagine what it would be like if the roof starts caving in. And then a paralyzed body starts being lowered down. Are you serious? I mean, you got these four guys. It is my opinion. Again, this is me. I could be wrong. I'm not, I'm not sure they had a robe. Maybe it was just their, their robes that they tied together and they wrapped them around this, this mat and they're lowering this guy down. You got one who's looking in the hole, friend number one. He's looking down the hole, lower. Give, give me some more robe, some more robe, some more robe. They get him there. All right, stop, stop, stop. He's there. What did he say? 
Does he see him? Yeah, he sees him. He's right in front of his face. What's he doing? Shh. Now he's shushing him. Look at verse 5. Here it is. When Jesus saw their, plural, whose faith? Their faith, plural, the faith of the four and the paralytic. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. To that, I can see the one guy lowering him down, the other three. What did he say? What did he say? What did he, he's talking to him. What did he say? Um, he said his sins are forgiven. His sins are forgiven. Jesus, we didn't, we didn't find him smoking pot outside the house. He's paralyzed. He can't walk. I mean, he needs a healing. This wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense to them. But boy, there's a lot here. Because a true neighbor sees the real need and Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. Greater than his physical issue, this man had a spiritual issue and Jesus sees that. Verse 6, let's pick it up. Now, some of the teachers in the law were sitting there. That's the part that Luke brings out. This is a part of the crowd. Again, these are the people from headquarters in Jerusalem. They're there, and they could care less about anybody getting healthy or getting healed or having their sins forgiven. They're trying to catch Jesus in something. He's a threat to them. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? In other words, why does Jesus talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Kids, you're in here, right? It's family worship month. Anything you do, your parents will eventually find it out because Jesus tells them, right? So you just need to know that. He knows everything. And he knows what these guys are thinking. And so he just calls them out on what they're thinking. Verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, this is an unreal question, man. This is a killer question. Jesus says, hey, I know what you're thinking. Let me ask you guys a question. Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, pick up your mat and walk? Now think about that question. I mean, which one would be easier to do? It would be easier to say, hey, your sins are forgiven, because how can we validate that? Anybody can say that. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. I mean, I can say that. Like, there's, no, there's really no way to know, no way to check your work, right? Jesus says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, hey, pick up your mat and walk? Then watch this. Look at verse 10. Jesus said, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, that's himself. This is his messianic title. That's who he was. Jesus didn't come as a great rabbi. Jesus didn't come to kind of show us how to live. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the Son of God, and he uses this messianic title. The Son of Man has authority. I love this. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's a big statement. Isn't that good news, by the way? Can we just stop there? We'll get to that. I mean, isn't that the most amazing thing? that you've ever heard in your life, that Jesus still has authority on earth to meet our greatest need, and that is to forgive sin. So he's just, he's telling the religious elite, he's putting them in their place. Meanwhile, Pete's like sitting there, hey, still here. Then Jesus looks at him, he says, I tell you to this paralyzed man, get up. Take your mat and go home. I mean, this dude was carried in on his mat, and he carried his mat out. Why did Jesus say, why did Jesus say, take your mat and go home? I mean, why didn't he just leave the mat? 
Because Jesus is saying, he, he wants us to see that I can redeem everything because everybody in this room's got a mat, right? Everybody in this room has a mat. Everybody in this room has some pain from your past. Everybody in this room has something that is causing you to limp. But listen, when Jesus takes that mat and redeems it, we might have been brought in here on it, but we can leave out of here carrying it. And it is a reminder, a constant reminder of the grace and the mercy and the power of God in our life. Is that cool? Verse 12, he does what Jesus says. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This is one of the great understatements in Scripture. This amazed everyone. <laughs> yeah, I guess it did, right? And they praise God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So let's spend the next few minutes looking at three things from this text that really paint a picture what through-the-roof neighbors are really like. If Jesus is calling us to be a neighbor and our relationship with him, our relationship with the living God is best seen in how we love others around us, what should that look like? Now, let me be honest. I want to say this, and this is just a little bit difficult to get before we go on. It's really easy to be a good neighbor to a physical paralytic, like it's, it's easy to show compassion to someone like this man who's physically paralyzed. It's more difficult to be a good neighbor to somebody who is relationally, emotionally, behaviorally a paralytic. Does that make sense? I mean, because we all have people in our life, man, they have tough personalities. They walk with a limp in their personalities, and it's tough to be a neighbor to those folks. So all these things that Jesus is going to teach us in this series, they're not just for the guy laying on the mat paralyzed. They're for that difficult person in the office, in your family, and on and on it goes. Let's look at three of them today as we just get started. And this is not just one sermon. This is a four-week message really on what Jesus is saying about being a neighbor. Here we go. Number one, through the roof neighbors. Through the roof neighbors exhibit compassion. They have compassion. Now, first of all, compassion is really empathy and action. It's one thing to have empathy or to feel sorry for another person. It's a whole nother deal to do something about it. And that's what these guys were, these four guys. Jesus is in town. And here's what a neighbor is. A neighbor doesn't think about themselves. A neighbor thinks about somebody else. And immediately in their mind, they go, what about Pete? He needs to be here. In the culture that we're living in, it, it, it's just so easy to constantly just be immersed in our own needs, our own desires, and just live this self-centered life. Everything in this culture plays to that, but that's not what Jesus is calling us to, and that's what these guys show. They're thinking about this guy who could not help himself. Through the roof neighbors, watch this. They repel versus repel. I was hoping that would go over better all weekend and Thursday night. It hasn't. But here's the point I'm making. Inside this room in Capernaum, as Jesus is teaching, there are two types of people that show up. There are the repellers. They're the people that will stop at nothing to get their friend in the presence of Jesus. They climb up on the roof. They tear a hole out in the roof and drop their friend to Jesus. And then there's the rest of the crowd that are repelling. In other words, they're making it difficult for people to get to Jesus. Do you see it? religious people are making it difficult for this paralyzed guy to get to Jesus. And Jesus says this later on in the Gospels. He says that we are either gathering or scattering. So with my attitudes and with my actions, I'm either repelling or I am repelling. Our only staff member who can repel is actually in Haiti today. Bob Landham, our mission pastor, he, re he, he repels 
Uh, we were going to bring him in kind of out of the ceiling today, but the last couple of illustrations we've had here have not gone so well. So we, we thought not about not doing that. Think about this. Through the roof, neighbors ask this question, who in my life is hurting? Who in my life is stuck right now? Who in my life is lost? Who in my life needs to be in the presence of Jesus? And as they look at me, am I making it easier for them to see him or more difficult? Through the roof, neighbors carry mats. A through the roof church is a church that carries mats. Now, what I'm about to say, what I'm about to say can be super confusing. And please hear, hear what I'm about to say in its entirety and in context. There is nothing wrong. Listen to what I'm about to say. There is nothing wrong with random acts of kindness. Right? There's nothing wrong with it. There is nothing wrong with leaving here today. And if you see someone on the side of the road down here at the corner of Medical Center in Thompson Lane and, and leaving a $5 bill, nothing wrong with that. Have you ever pulled through a drive-thru and, and, and the, the person giving you the order says, the car in front of you just paid for your meal? You ever had that happen? One time for me, it happened one time, it was at Starbucks. I'd never go to Starbucks. I was going through Starbucks and I, and I ordered the cheapest little coffee. It's a small, call it a small, they call it something else. But anyways, and, uh, and, and they said, well, the car in front of you paid for your drink. I said, well, can I get another one? Because I'd have upgraded. I would have I went venti or whatever, grande. Oh, no. There's nothing wrong with random acts of, there's nothing wrong with random acts of kindness. But here's what I want to say to you today, because we can sit here and say, well, that was a cool thing what they did. I mean, lowering the mat, that's compassion. Yeah, man, I need that. I need that. But how do we really live that out? Right, beyond just random acts of kindness, how do I really live that out? Well, there, there are multiple ways to live that out. Let me tell you one. Let me tell you one. It's not the only one, but it's an important one. It's what we believe here at New Vision. We believe everybody here ought to be in a group. Now watch this. I know what you're thinking. I don't need a group. Like we've got family. I've got community. I mean, I get it when people are new to Murfreesboro and they need a group because they need to meet some folks, but we don't really need that. Watch what's happening here. That's very selfish. You, you, you don't get in a group because of what you need. You get in a group because there are other people inside that group that there's gonna be a period of time in their life that they need somebody to carry their mat. Do you see that? And we get in groups because it's there that instead of just random acts of kindness, it's consistent compassion and empathy as we care for people deeply. As their marriage is falling apart on day-by-day -day basis, we carry their mat by praying for them, by encouraging them. They're struggling with addiction and day after day we carry their mat because we pray for them, we text them, we encourage them, them. We love them. That's why we believe that so strongly here. Does that make sense? And so many times whenever I talk about group, it's all about, well, I don't need that. You missed it. It's not exactly what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about being a neighbor because a neighbor is willing to carry somebody's mats. Number two, through the roof neighbors not only exhibit compassion, but they have big faith. These four guys, watch this, they didn't have perfect faith. They didn't have perfect faith because they were, watch, some of you have already fallen asleep. What were they taking their friend to Jesus to have Jesus do? Heal him. That's, that's what they thought was his greatest need. But here's what they had. Please watch this. I want, can I just, can I be honest with you? I want my life more and more to look like this. Here's what these four guys believe. They said, my friend over here, Pete, he doesn't have any hope. We believe if we can just get him in the presence of Jesus, Jesus can change it for him. 
And I still believe that. And I want to believe that more and more in everybody. Listen, everybody in this room has somebody right now that cannot believe for themselves because something that's happened in their life. They're stuck with doubt and indifference or pain for their, from their past and they're stuck in their addiction and on and on and on. But they need somebody with big faith to say, I'm going to believe it for you. And that doesn't mean that your belief for them is, is going to be all they need for salvation, but it clearly, it clearly cultivates the soil and creates a fertile environment for them to come to faith. Who are you believing the gospel for right now when everybody else has given up on them and in your mind you believe this, if they could just get in the presence of Jesus, if I could have them here one week and they could be around others as we sing and worship, if they could just see other people worshiping the Lord, if they could just experience what I'm experiencing as we get into the word and just listen to the word talk, if I could just get them here and they could just hear about Jesus and know about Jesus, I believe their life could be different. I want big faith like that. Faith that just says, I just, I want to put this person in the presence of Jesus and watch as he begins to change them. Because through the roof, faith catches the eye of Christ and the paralytics in our lives, right? The only thing that impresses Jesus in the New Testament is big faith. Now, watch this. I want you to think about something. As this paralytic is being lowered down through the roof, he's, he's probably almost in the fetal position and he's looking up as they're lower him, lowering him down. Whose eyes are he, is he looking into? At first, it's his friends, right? What has he seen? He was laying in his home one morning. Four guys rush in and said, Pete, it's time to go. And they pick him up and they run him through town. They're bouncing off of people. They get him to this home there in Capernaum. It's crowded. And they climb up on the roof and they cut a hole in the roof and they lower him down in the presence of Jesus. Do you know what he saw? He saw big faith. He was around a group of people that believed this stuff, that knew that there was power in the name of Jesus. And when people see that exhibited in our life, it changes things. Certainly did for this guy. But watch this. This is Christianity 201. We're about to go here. If you need to check out, go ahead. But neighbors, see the real need. This is what Jesus is teaching us. Pete's real need, it wasn't, wasn't physical. It wasn't that, you know, if we get him in front of a good therapist and he got more mobility, that'd be great. Or if we could get him in front of someone who could help him with his emotional needs, not that there's anything wrong with that. If emotionally he could work through his paralysis, then he'd be in a much better place. Or financially, we could do a GoFundMe account and he could get some revenue coming in. And financially, he was in a better shape than Pete would be, Pete would be better. Or relationally, I mean, if he could, just meet a, he could just meet a good woman, she could turn his life around. That's really what he needs. That's where we are most of the time. We look at the Pete's in our life, the paralyzed people in our life and we think about all these other needs that they have and Jesus shows us that a neighbor sees the real need it's the spiritual need because our ultimate need listen this is what Jesus is teaching and you say well how do you know this is what Jesus is teaching because when he's lowered down what does Jesus do Jesus forgives him of his sin first before he heals his physical ailment right he shows the priority of that need watch this our ultimate need is not healing from God but it is holiness before God I don't think we teach that very much in the church today because you know what sells books is how we can have a healing from God your greatest need is not a healing from God it is holiness before God and I know there are, old, there are no amens to that but that's what Jesus is trying to teach us and this is why so many people watch this this is why so many people are disillusioned with God because they didn't get the healing 
their marriage wasn't saved, the cancer didn't go away, the job loss or whatever, and they say, what good is a God like this? God didn't heal me of this mat that I have in my life. Well, in Pete's life, his paralysis, was, his paralysis was actually a plus. It's what got him in the presence of Jesus to change everything for him, right? The good news of the kingdom, I'm going fast, I want you to hear this. And I can tell it's so different than the way we think because we don't really see the real need. The good news of the kingdom is not that Jesus will heal all of your sickness now. The good news of the kingdom is that Jesus will forgive all your sins forever. That's the good news of the kingdom. Matthew 16, 26, listen to what Jesus says. Listen to this verse. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What good would it have been for Pete to have two healthy legs and not have a changed heart and walk right into hell? That's what Jesus is saying. And then listen to how Jesus ends that verse. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Can I ask you a question? This is my fourth time to ask this question. I don't think it's gone well any, any of the time. Let's try it again on you, right? Wonder if, wonder if you knew there was some mistake you made in your life from your past that disqualified you from ever having a relationship with God. What would your life be like? Can you imagine the pain Wonder if there was something in your life and it disqualified you that you could never be released from that. Here and now and forever. Can you imagine that? But that's not the truth of the gospel. The reality of the gospel. The reality of the gospel is that the blood of Christ Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Can I tell you something? Listen, listen to what I'm about to say. If you're here in this room and you trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, here's what I know about you. Cancer will not have the final word in your life. Alzheimer's will not have the final word in your life. Hospice will not have the final word in your life. Depression will not have the final word in your life. Death will not have the final word in your life because the cross of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he brings has already brought about the final word in your life. That is the hope of the gospel, and that's what Jesus is teaching us. That's why he forgives him of the sin first. And then he's able to walk. One of my favorite preachers is Chris Brown. He's pretty edgy. He, said, he says this a lot. He says, Jesus didn't come to save us from this life. He came to save us from death. Here's a follow-up question. Would you rather have your problems solved or your sins forgiven? Would you wrestle with that for just a second? Would you rather have your problems solved, family relationships fixed, kids behaving, great health, great job? Would you rather have your problems solved or your sins forgiven? I'm not so sure that my prayer life doesn't give the answer away because so many of the things in my life that I'm praying for are problems solved instead of being thankful that my sins are forgiven. A real neighbor sees the real need, and the real need is always spiritual. That's what Jesus is teaching us in this story. Let's look at the third and final thing. Through-the-roof neighbors have through-the-roof compassion. They have through-the-roof faith and through-the-roof sacrifice. 
Through the roof, neighbors are persistent. Like, watch this, I'm almost done. But I wonder if any of you are like me. Like, the moment they get Pete there, I mean, they run all the way through the city of Capernaum, get to the, the house. It's just my opinion that it was, it doesn't matter. It's my opinion that it was Simon Peter's mom's house where they were. You can be wrong if you don't believe that. But they're there, only to find out that the service has already started. Doors are already shut. It's like showing up here Christmas Eve and getting sent to the overflow room. Remember that? Yeah, we get the emails from you. Good stuff. And, and when I see obstacles like that many times, I assume, God, you're not in it. Like maybe what I would have said to Pete is, hey, we'll be here early next time. Today's, today's not your day. But then the one guy is persistent. He climbs on the roof, cuts a hole in the roof, and drops his friend in front of Jesus. I want to have that kind of through-the-roof persistence in my life. That obstacles don't stop me. There are going to be obstacles in your spiritual journey. Just because you encounter an obstacle in your spiritual journey doesn't mean that God's not in it. It means that God may, be, God may be granting you the grace to push through that. And don't you love the friend who cuts the skylight in the roof? I want to be a dude like that. Don't quit. Through-the-roof neighbors are creative I mean, when you cut a hole in the roof, that takes creativity. The next story in Mark's gospel is so good. It's a story of Levi. He's a tax collector. I'm running out of time. Matthew, you, you know, he, he writes the first of the, the four gospels. Here's a guy who worked for the Romans. He made a living fleecing his neighbors, his countrymen, the Jews, overcharging them in taxes to line his pocket. He has an encounter with Jesus. It changes everything about him. And then the next thing he does is he throws a party. Now think about it. I mean, he doesn't know a lot of theology. He's not a Bible teacher. He doesn't feel comfortable really yet talking to people about his spiritual experience. He just throws a party and invites Jesus. That's creativity, isn't it? He says, listen, I know a lot of lost dudes. I got a nice place here. I know how to throw a party. I'm just gonna invite Jesus. I'm gonna have a party with a purpose, see what happens. That's creativity. That's like lowering your friend through the roof. We were in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago working with an inner city church. Pastor there is a, a former a cocaine addict who's come to know Christ. He is edgy as all get out. He has a friend, think about this, his friend is an equipment manager for the Houston Texans NFL football team. So we go out inviting these homeless men and women to a church service that first night on the streets and we're handing out sandwiches and Under Armour, Houston Texan Under Armour football socks, socks that the Houston Texans wore on game day to homeless guys. That plays, right? I mean, I don't know, I didn't know this. I'm asking a question. I'm like, how did he get this? He said, you know, NFL teams, they wear a pair of socks. They don't wear them again. They get new ones every week. And so this manager, this equipment manager, went to the owner of the Houston Texans talking about creativity. And he said, hey, is there any way I could have those socks? Like, what do you want those socks? He says, I, I, I know a pastor in Minneapolis. It's cold in Minneapolis. And I, I want to give these Under Armour socks to some homeless people so he can use them as a tool to invite them to church. That's creativity, isn't it? I mean, I'm sitting there handing out those socks, looking at them myself, thinking, I'd like these. I wonder which player wore these. I almost put one in my backpack. That'd been wrong, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, you're taking socks away from a homeless dude. I didn't do it. Quit looking at me that way. I wanted to. That's creativity, man. How can we be creative to point people to Jesus using social media, whatever? That's what these guys did when they cut a hole in the roof and they just lowered their friend to Jesus. I want to be like that. 
through the roof neighboring is costly. Somebody had to fix that roof, didn't they? <laughs> right? It's costly. It cost them their seats. It cost them some time going and picking up Pete, getting all of his stuff together, carrying him all the way to the home there in Capernaum. It cost them time, the most valuable commodity in our culture today. People give you a whole lot more money. They won't give you any time. But being a neighbor is costly. And they were willing to do that. Hey, in just a few minutes, in less than five minutes, you're going to leave this service. There are going to be folks standing at the door giving you an invite card to invite somebody back next week. But don't invite somebody next week. Bring somebody. You understand the difference? What does it mean to bring somebody? Like if I, if I, I, I don't know anybody here, you invite me, the chances of me showing up aren't so good. Let me just tell you, if you tell me, hey, I want you to come to church with me next week. I'm going to go pick up some Krispy Kreme donuts for the family. Just text me your order Sunday morning, whatever you want there. Call if you order. I got it. I'll pick you up. We got, we got donuts. And we're, we're going to go to Toots afterwards. I don't know if you've had the chicken on the stick with that cherry sauce that is so good. My treat. So I want to take you to lunch. I'm going. I'll go to church with you. Right? Costly. Do you know, this is amazing. Right now, they're probably done now because they're an hour ahead of us, about 470 students. There are some high school students are at this retreat, summer camp, because a couple of their friends saved money throughout the year to pay so their friend could go to camp and hear about Jesus. Sometimes being a good neighbor is costly. I know of two dudes right now that every single month are saving a little bit of money. These aren't guys that have a ton of money. They're saving a little bit of money aside every month. So when it comes around this April, when we go on the men's retreat down to Alabama again, and they're, they're going to invite a friend and tell them it's paid for. Your golf, everything, it's paid for. Come on. It's kind of hard to say no to that. You see, it's, it's, it's costly. But lastly, through the roof, neighboring is urgent. That's what I love about these guys. Jesus is in town. We don't know if he'll be back. I mean, last time he was here, and we couldn't find him for a couple days, so he is here. So, Pete, it is your day. We are getting you, and we are taking you to Jesus. And, and so we need to live our life with this sense of urgency. Let me tell you this story to close. Again, we're in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago. We're downtown Minneapolis. We're, we're hanging out with about 30 guys and gals, heroin addicts. They're all messed up. Heroin, crack, meth, or, or drunk. We're handing out sandwiches and socks and inviting them back to have dinner and worship with us. And out of the corner of my eye, here comes this, this guy, big dude. He comes running up to us and he says, I'm done. This is not preacher talk here. He said, I can't do this anymore. He said, I'm a heroin addict. I've lost everything. My family won't have anything to do with me. He begins to tell us, he tells us about his family. He's like one of your kids. And he says, it cost me everything. And he said, I'm, I'm finished. He said, the only thing I'm afraid of right now is when I, when I start to come off this drug, I'm going to be deathly sick. So can you guys help me? So I, I got Pastor John over. Pastor John, again, is a recovering cocaine addict from Chicago. He's edgy, man. And I said, Pastor John, my man here wants some help. Pastor John doesn't say, oh, praise God, good, let me hug you. He says, you serious, you want some help? He says, don't blank blank me. We don't talk like that as preachers in the South. It cost me my job, right? <laughs> I'm like, whoa, dude, this just got real. <laughs> Pastor John said, see that van over there? I'm going 
right now, I'm leaving, I'm walking to that van. In three minutes, that van's going to be leaving. It's going to Teen Challenge Rehab Center. I'll take you there. I know the people. I'll call them on the way. If you're in it in three minutes, we'll go. We'll get you help. If you're not, forget about it. The guy says, I need to talk to somebody. And I'm going to Pastor John. He just needs to talk to somebody. Go ahead. Go fast, right? This guy's a nut, right? He goes up and he starts talking to somebody. I'm trailing behind him. He's talking to his dealer. He owes him money. And he says, I'm going to rehab, but I got you. I'm going to pay you back. The guy starts cussing him, yelling. I thought, man, this is, man, I live off of Haynes Drive. I mean, we had a, we had a neighbor who had his gallbladder kind of, the police and the ambulance came. That's about as crazy as it gets there. I'm sitting here with a heroin dealer and this dude, and they're going, edit. I'm like, oh, man, Lord, please. And I'm patting him on the shoulder. I said, he's going to leave you. So he pivots and he goes and gets in the van. The dealer's there. He's mad. He lost some cash. One of our guys, Pastor Brad, walks up to him, to the dealer, and says, hey, man, we got dinner tonight. Gives him the address. We'd love for you to come. We're going to talk about what it means to be a man. I was like, don't tell him that. He's a heroin dealer. (laughs) Right? We're trying to have a church service. I mean, I was was like, and he says, Pastor Brady's going to talk about, he's going to give you a definition of manhood. You ought to come. Yeah. I am. Come on, come on. So we're sitting there in this storefront, downtown Minneapolis, and people are kind of trickling in. We're eating Chipotle. You bought it through your giving. Thank you. It was good. We're having dinner, and I look up, and in walks this dealer, that same dude three hours ago. And when I first saw him, I got to be honest with you, I was like, oh, no. I don't know what's going to happen. And so he kind of comes in and he stops. I just walked up to him. I said, man, good to see you, dude. I'm glad you're here. You want something to eat? He sits down. We start eating. It's pretty much like my boys. Just some things went south along the way. We're just talking and we're hanging out. He's a cool guy. We have church that night. He stays. And I talk to people for a living. I can tell who's locked in and who's not. I watch you, you watch me. This dude is locked. This dude is locked. I I wish I could have a great preacher story and say he came down at the end and gave his heart and life to Christ. He didn't. After it was over, he was just hanging around. I went up to him and said, thanks for coming. And he said, I'm glad I did. He said, that was different. That was pretty cool. I'll be back. Why did I tell you this story? Because one bald-headed pastor from Chicago whose edges all get out just lives his life with a sense of urgency. Like, you're going to do something. Today is the day. That's what the Bible says. Today is the day of salvation. Some of you are here today, and you'll never run out of excuses for why you can't surrender to Christ. But you'll run out of time. Some of you came in, carried on a mat. Yeah, you walked in, but not really. I mean, it was your pain. It was your guilt. It was your shame. It carried you in this place. Your doubt, your indifference, it's your mat. You've been on it for a long time, and it has defined you. Your past, your mistakes defines you 
has paralyzed you, owns you. Can I tell you some good news? You might have been carried in here on that mat, but by the authority that Jesus Christ has, you can carry it out. That's the truth of the gospel, and it can happen today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for this moment in time. Lord, I thank you for those who are here today that are lying on their mats right now. A mat of doubt, a mat of shame, a mat of guilt, a mat of addiction. And Father, today, for the first time in their life, they realize their greatest need is not a healing of their problems. It is being made right with you. It is a forgiveness of their sins. And the story of how you dealt with this paralytic is speaking to them. Because before they can take their mat up and start to walk, you've got to give them a new heart. And Father, I pray today that there are men, women, boys, and girls in this room that for the first time are trusting you as Savior and Lord. I pray for believers here today who will begin to, to live with through the roof compassion, willing to carry the mats of those in their life, through the roof faith, believing the gospel for someone, and through the roof sacrifice. Father, we thank you for the power and authority of your word. Father, could we be a church and a community that carries mats for your glory, in Christ's name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.